Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a One Digital Employer Advisory Podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated, and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. In part of our ongoing look at the healthcare industry, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't provide some sort of context. How did we get to where we are today? Looking at the road that we've already traveled, sometimes that provides us with really unique perspectives as we think about solutions for the future. So, you know, health insurance and this health insurance industry and the program and how it looks didn't always exist. In fact, it's a pretty new thing. It's not something that's been around for centuries. Um, So it came out of certain things um, and and certain needs and sort of grew up and morphed over time. So I want to kind of take you through, you know, how did we get to where we are? First of all, why did it start? You know, what was it looking to solve? And then what's happened over the years to bring us to today? So Ron, do you want to kick it off for us and kind of start us out on this journey? Sure. Thanks for that. I'm going to cover some of the early stages of this at the macro level, and then we can drill down a little bit more and appreciate anybody's comments about whether you think some of these activities uh, improved the system or actually had us take a step back. But the concept of insurance really started back in 1910, 1915. It was attached to workmen's uh, workers' comp insurance. And there were about 32 states that sort of enacted this. And it was the only way for the employer to protect themselves against direct lawsuits and litigation associated with accidents and things like that. But but it didn't include things like health care and all that. And then around 2029, and really following the Depression, hospitals began to make sure they could collect their money when they uh, had a uh, uh, an event began to come up with these prepayment services like Baylor as an example. They provided 21 days of hospital care for uh, uh, 50 cents a month. I, I, I want to emphasize 50 cents a month. And uh, think about that compared to today's premiums and things like that. And then as you convert that run into what it is today's time, what is 50 cents a month equal today? I don't know. Yeah, I would, I would gather it would probably be somewhere 20, 30% of the existing uh, premiums that we pay. Although the (laughs) the coverage would be different, but, but then as these plans and that concept began to expand, from hospital to hospital, that's when the the Blue Cross Blue Shield Commission began to uh, form trade associations, and and you began to see some structure beginning to occur around issues of healthcare. Uh, the, interestingly enough, in the forties, the uh, American Medical Association had always been opposed to the concepts of these fee for service plans uh, that that. They fear the elimination of what used to be a sliding scale charge, uh, and it was based on the ability of people to pay. So people that earn more paid more for the same service and people that were destitute or poverty stricken paid less. So that was a fairly decent. uh, It's an interesting reason why they were uh, opposed to having one fee regardless of the income level. And they saw that as a reduction to their income. But 
if you think about it and you think about Papaka today, we've sort of reverting back to that model where people who are financially challenged pay less for their insurance and people that are more capable pay more. So sometimes the past does repeat itself. And that's 1940. Where, where things probably, in my mind, began to uh, at least establish the seeds of deterioration was also back in the 40s and uh, where commercial insurance appeared uh, following Blue Cross and Blue Shield. But it it differed in the sense that it asked it offered hospitalization insurance and surgical insurance previous to this that people just saying if you go to the hospital you'll be okay and they didn't find service duration things like that the commercial started to do that and uh and i guess it that concept grew rapidly and i'd say in my mind that's one step forward uh also as this kind of stuff uh expanded there were people like kaiser who were in rural areas and they started to form clinics uh now historically kaiser permanetti which is still an insurance and these models actually had uh they were one unit of physician hospital and different specialties they controlled that population you couldn't go outside the system and frankly uh, was probably one of the most uh, affordable and efficient systems that had been established during that time. And so these plans sort of grew rapidly and captured more market share than Blue Cross Blue Shield plans did in those early days. So I, I would say that that delivery model where everybody has the same priority, same objectives. And if you provide efficient care, not excess care, everybody seems to win. The patient wins. The delivery system wins was one real big step forward. And probably historically, as we look back, may have been the basis of what we wish we had today. Uh, Then we had other forms of prepaid things, planning, uh, emerging, and Again, we talked about the closed panels, HMOs began to expand. And so it went beyond Kaiser. So I say that was two steps forward. And uh, but when we introduced back somewhere in between the 40s and the 50s, the, the concept of fee for service and cost reimbursement sort of permeated the insurance. And I think that established a very poor foundation for the healthcare system going forward. And we saw insurance grow from 40, from the 40s to 50, from 9% of penetration to 70%. Uh, and that's as much as the fact that the union plans began to demand insurance and there were employee sponsored plans. So up until the 70s, things were pretty simple. And Blue Cross Blue Shield was pretty simple. And this fee-for-service model didn't really cause excessive plans. But then you started eras of 1970 in terms of regulation and those kinds of things and regulations of pension funds. And so all through the 80s and the 2000s, we began to see things like uh, mandated benefits which was a response to the fact that a lot of these ERISA plans could be exempt from mandates and so forth. So the states wanted to start mandates. You had to cover this if you were fully insured and so forth. And uh, 
And then in 1994, there was a small group reform, which caused a turn for all the individual state regulations and ratings. You got community rating, modified rating, uh, state mandates. And so we began to see a way to avoid the general concepts of, of insurance. And so with that, I, I just kind of opened the floor before we started talking about just kind of summarize the the more significant events and what led us to this inflationary system. Anybody have any comments, thoughts? So one of the things that, you know, um, strikes me about it and just, you know, also being part of the industry from the 80s forward is, um, you know, this move to the managed care that we're in, small group reform, like, you know, all of the regulation that started to dictate what had to be covered and how it had to be covered, whether people needed it or not. Right. That to me added a huge layer of cost to the whole system for no direct return. Right. So we continue to, to overcharge people for services they don't have. I mean, this seems to be like to me from the 90s on when we started with managed care. This is basically in a nutshell what we've gotten. Yeah. We in in the name of protecting people, we have automatically pushed coverage this specific coverage to lots of people who will never use it. Yeah. And charge them for it. And this is what's inadvertently like built in the huge costs that we have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to say it crudely, uh, a good concept overlaid on a system where you eat what you yeah. kill. In other words, the more you do, the more you get paid and the more mandates you get, the more uh, you roll things that are not the business of insurance into the business of insurance. And now you're adding additional administrative cost, overhead margins and things like that for things that that aren't the business of insurance. I mean, we shouldn't be, frankly, you probably shouldn't be uh, insuring uh, primary care office visits. Uh, that, no. that That's a, you know, in other words, those are pretty much known in a lot of cases. And so there's some situations where if it becomes catastrophic, maybe so. So now, now we're, we've reached the era, I guess, in the 80s where we've got fee for service. We've moved away from cost reimbursement and go for sort of a prospective payment system. It leads to how do we best maximize margins and profits out of this kind of system. And then all of a sudden, believe it or not, this, this, drug coverage emerges. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but back in the 80s, most carriers gave away drug coverage for free as as an inducement to buy their coverage. And so sure enough, now we've introduced the concept of insurance for drugs. So what do we believe, you know, what do you think happens? Well, then we see, you know, direct to consumer advertising, things like that. We see a lot more investments, which is a good thing in, in research. But again, now we see this issue that we're going to build this system on a concept of relativity. Doesn't matter if something's worth a dollar. If everybody's selling it for a hundred dollars, 95 is a better deal than a hundred, but the real value is a dollar. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, and, and Annette, to your point, 
more importantly than that, if you remember, so now they resurrect these concepts of HMOs. Mm-hmm. But it returns in a very different format than the Kaisers mm-hmm. in some parts. What we try to do is we aggregate smaller networks of unrelated positions that have no common economic ties. And uh, we tried forms of capitation that didn't work and everything else. And nobody really wanted to buy these narrow networks because there wasn't that much of a price differential. So all of right. a sudden... What do, how do we fix that problem? Well, let's give away more benefits that aren't the benefit of insurance for free. Like, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. So once again, now we're piling on more benefits and then the networks have no common correlation to be able to uh, produce those benefits at a more efficient cost. And the idea of capitation fails because you really can't fairly allocate the risk. And so we go right back to fee for service. Now, yeah, you know, the, we brought up something really important, Ryan, and you're talking about the business of insurance. And um, so I think there's a misconception of what that business of insurance is. So if you, if you go back to the origins of insurance, what is it for? It is a methodology to finance costs that you cannot handle on your own. That's that was that's risk, right? You're you are you are betting that I'm going to have more expenses than I can actually budget myself, and the insurance company bets that you're not, right? So it's this gamble between the two, but it is a financing methodology to cover potential costs that you might have that you can't afford on a day-to-day basis, right? I go and I afford my groceries, I budget for that, et cetera. Well, to your point, insurance out of the gates, and and we saw that very well in the 80s, um, it wasn't meant to cover your everyday expenses. That's not, it wasn't the purpose. It was to cover the catastrophic things that you could not budget for, right? That's a whole different thing than today. So now you've built all this cost in that people could sort of budget for had they, had we stayed in that and done that same uh, vein and added so many layers of cost, which drove people to maybe utilize more services than they might normally have used. Um, So I think there's a lot of things in there as well. So we've incented people to behave differently when it comes to healthcare as well. You know, when I think about, you know, when I was first and, you know, starting out, I was, I I paid claims, right. And, and so that, Insurance plans were designed quite differently. Insurance was you had flat dollar amount that was paid. And then after that, for that type of service, for for whether it was hospital, surgical, x-ray lab, you had buckets of dollars that you were allowed every year, right? That's how it worked. Now, shortly there, and you could just leave it at that benefit, or or they would have what they called major medical, which wrapped around that and gave you a few extra dollars at some cost share. That's how it worked before, right? And so if it didn't fit in one of those buckets of actual medical treatment to get you back to the place that you were before you got ill or injured, it wasn't a covered, it wasn't covered. And it wasn't meant to cover every single, you know, my $4 prescription for what, you know, that's not what it was for. It was for these big ticket items. So surgeries and, right. you know, uh, 
hospitalization, et cetera, room and board and, and everything that came with it. So, yeah, quite well, different. And people behave differently because of it as well. And also, one last thing, Ron, I'll let you jump in. The other thing I want to say is, and at that time, all the things that we're talking about today, costs were transparent. You could understand the cost for everything. Every doctor, every type of surgery, every type of, it was public information. It was gathered and that's how things ran. So that information used to be out there. That's exactly right. And, and least we think that that may have been the end of the lack of innovation in the healthcare system. <laughs> then we come to the next sort of uh, non-creative way to improve margin, and that's consolidation of the industry. So we decide yeah. the best way to really deal with all the exploding cost of healthcare is not with information, not with innovation, but with consolidation so I can generate scale. Scale's not innovation. It's just another way to continue to do the same thing at a less cost, hoping that you'll increase your uh, increase your, your, you know, your access to margins. So, so now we've got this concept of relativity uh, well rooted in the industry, and they they touted consolidation. I mean, I was asked by a major carrier to write a letter supporting the consolidation of Anthem and Cigna as being competitive and improving cost and competition and all that kind of stuff. Well, it, it, it obviously wasn't going to do that. And I couldn't write that letter, uh, despite the disappointment of, of some of the industry, because consolidation is not innovation. It, it's just a way to improve, uh, lower your cost. So now we've got this, you know, we've got patient insulation that, that you just mentioned. Uh, we, we've got the idea of a relative value of a service versus the intrinsic value of that service. And not only that, but then lower fee-for-service reimbursement pressures that actually then expur more utilization. So, so you got a zero-sum game that just looks different at the end of the day. A lot of people don't recall, they, we used to have Inpatient days per thousand population back in the 80s were 800. Mm -hmm. Today, I, I don't know, but I bet it's single digits today. But as you saw those costs drop dramatically, you saw outpatient costs go up and, and absolutely offset any savings we got through the reduction of, yeah. of uh, uh, inpatient utilization. Yeah. Yeah. So, so go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you know, I, I think that the the challenge is what you guys are describing are are old way are, are old ways of revisiting old problems. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's, uh, you know, so if I'm listening to this right now and I'm a consumer, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is where are we going? This doesn't sound uh, terribly promising that we're going to be able to unpack this. But I think that there's a new development that some old stakeholders in this industry are going to have a difficult time adjusting to, which are companies where the revenue model is not in the service itself, it's in the data. So if I think about what I'm optimistic about in disruption in health insurance and in provider 
care are companies that maybe are not traditional stakeholders, but know how to handle big data and know how to turn that into their profit center to where they're essentially giving away a service in exchange for consumer data and exchange for individual profiles. So, you know, obviously the player, and this is probably worth a topic for another podcast, but obviously the player that is still very much on the top of my mind is Amazon. You know, Amazon is a company whose business, whose profitability is not really in the stuff that they sell you, right? They don't, they're not a multi-trillion dollar operation because of the, the tchotchkes we buy on Amazon Prime. They're a multi-trillion dollar operation because they know how you think and they know what gets your attention and they integrate with every social media platform to know what you click on. They know what, what buying signals you give. They know how often you're looking at a product. They know how many times you, you might put a product in the cart late at night, take it out of the cart, put it back in the cart and then buy it. If you think about this in a healthcare perspective, if you're a hospital and you're trying to break through to your to your most difficult cohort of patients who are having difficulty staying compliant with care, it's very helpful to know what type of stimuli they reply they respond to. Do are they responding to text messages? Are they responding to emails? Are they responding to phone calls? Are they responding to uh, 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 certain types of conversations within the doctor's office? You're going to see companies like Amazon in healthcare who are willing to give away services at very low prices in exchange for gaining that type of intelligence about an individual. And then that intelligence becomes the profit center. So, so when you think about traditional players in our space, there are some big, large national players who are very good with big data, who are very good with organizing big data much better than some other players who may be able to think of a new model that is more subscription based, that is not so much viewed as a, as a traditional insurance policy, but it's more like a Netflix subscription where you're, where you're, 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 you're probably paying more than you pay to go to the movie theaters throughout the year, but you don't care because the price point's relatively low and you'll give that for that consistent ease of operation where you might see more of these subscription models develop where you get access to care, where you're paying a subscription amount. And then the profit center is actually in something other than the care. It might be in the data. So, uh, so I mean, Annette and I have had numerous conversations with your direct primary care contractors. You know, that's something that's more of a subscription model where you're not, where you're decoupling it from an insurance product and essentially saying, we're going to pay this set amount to have all the access you want. Every direct primary care contractor I talk to pro most likely has a secondary data play that they're taking a look at to make this thing work. But it's these types of new ways of looking at where do we make money in the industry and how can we decouple it maybe from the shock cost of the actual service. Scott, to that point. So I think everybody understands the Amazon model. So if you had to pick a surrogate about, well, what is, how can I envision what you just described? Think about the idea that if somebody like Amazon got into the drug business with a focus on the client's cost, their client's cost, 
it, you would see dramatic changes in the system. You would see more efficiency. You'd see less manipulation. No longer would things be relative to one another. They would be actually based on cost. And they've got the market share and they've got access to the individual patient more than just about anybody does. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it does bring up like, where does this go? What are the ways to make it better? And Scott, I think you bring up some really good points about, okay, so we're here. Like, what are those big new ways that could make uh, a significant difference? Because I'm, I'm sure everybody agrees, just continuing on in the vein that we're in does not get us we're just expanding access now. We're not. We're not doing anything yeah. to do that. And in fact, what I think that you and I talked about is, I think that's now sort of the breakoff point about the past, and maybe the next ones. We start talking about what would those efficient systems look like using today's technology yeah. and things, and using things that Scott's talking about. Yeah, I agree. I, so I think that that uh, you know will be our, one of our next really sessions to kind of focus on. Okay, so where could this go now? I mean, this sort of the, the, was just the context to kind of bring you to the systems of today. You know, places we've been already. What have we learned along the way, and what's sort of happened? Uh, to the industry. And again, it's I think it boils down to two things. It is a change in focus about what is insurance. What is it for? Um, There's a whole different thought process about that. And then how is it delivered and who are the players? And why are we providing, why are we asking people to pay for things they're never going to use, right? All of that adds cost in this piece. So how do we do it differently? Yeah. And I think that's a topic for next time. Any parting words before we uh, close this kind of just uh, walk down memory lane <laughs> of uh, where the insurance uh, businesses come. All right. Well, thanks all. Oh, Scott, did you have something? Go ahead. Oh my gosh. No, <laughs> no I, I, I mean, this is such an interesting topic and anybody who's listening to this can tell that this is something that uh, uh, we could talk, talk about for hours, but the, uh, but I, I'm excited to see where the future conversations go and what ideas uh, come to the table when we reconvene to revisit this. Love it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you talk all. to you next time. And thank you all for tuning in. Staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration. Our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools, education, and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees and business every day. You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.